And this morning, I'm really excited to jump into Corinthians with you guys once again. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I want you guys to look up here. I read a quote this uh, week by uh, Charles Swindoll. He said this, In the beginning, God created man in his own image. The competition began when man insisted on returning the compliment. And we definitely see a problem today because we want to make God in our own image. We have our human intellect, don't we? We think we know best. So it's our intellect versus divine intellect. So when it comes to that, there is no competition. Do you guys understand that? God is way wiser. <laughs> His ways are way better. And he is always right. There is no, it's kind of like PC versus Apple. There's just no, okay, you guys aren't nerdy enough. <laughs> There's like three or four nerds here this morning. <laughs> but anyways, <clears throat> Christianity today, hipster faith, okay? Uh, as we consider Corinthians, I want us for a moment just to think back to the Corinthians themselves and the church, what they were facing, what were they struggling with? Well, they were struggling with wanting to be cool and also be with Christ, okay? Struggling with what others thought of them and also what God thought of them, you guys, there's a hard thing for us as Christians because the world is teaching much. But then we as Christians, followers of Jesus, we hear his teachings. And so often they are totally contradictory. So there is a theology of glory and a theology of the cross that we must address as believers. So a theology of glory, guys. So many just want to be you know, rich and, and cool and beautiful, successful, accepted, powerful, and desire relationship with God. So to help achieve that end, we're willing to do whatever we can, okay? They want to be all that they can be, okay? And we see so much of that today. God is like the best self-help guru out there in a a lot of Christians today, a lot of churches are running to that kind of junk because it's unbiblical. I mean, jump online and look at the best-selling Christian books. It is a lot of me, a lot of self-help, okay? So we consider together a theology of the cross. Jesus wasn't hip, cool, rich, and powerful, politically speaking, correct? Okay? Jesus was humble. He was executed. He suffered. Jesus doesn't look like the guy that we all want to be. So, will you go with the real Jesus, or are you going to go with the one you really want him to be? Let me ask you guys this question. We're not going with Jesus of the Bible. If we're making Jesus out to be the way we want him to be, would you guys say that's probably idolatry? We're making a God in our own image. Okay? The Jesus of the Bible, he's the one we are called to follow. So maybe it's not about our looks. Maybe it's not about our money. Maybe it's not about fame. 
about our own glory. You see, if Jesus was the perfect human being, and how many of you guys would say, yes, I agree with that because that's biblical, right? The perfect human being. Then are we really messed up (laughs) on what we're going after? You see, Paul starts answering these questions here in 1 Corinthians for us. So the question, guys, is going to be this morning, what is the wisdom of the Greeks? Okay, Wisdom in Greek is Sophia. So we see here this morning, Sophia meets Jesus. Let's take a read here. Jump down to verse 18 in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, and it pleased God through foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews, they request a sign. The Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jew, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So the preaching of the cross, guys, okay? We preach him and him crucified. Why? Because the preaching of the cross, guys, it's not just an act of preaching. It's the word, it's the logos of the cross. See, without the cross, the message of the cross, there is no hope. Because we are all sinners in order for sin to be forgiven, there must be sacrifice. And there, upon that cross, which Jesus died 2,000 years ago, he was the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was that perfect human sacrifice for you and for me. There's an eminent professor of theology. He said this to his students in a seminary class. He said this, gentlemen, I ask you to remember that you are called upon to know something of foolishness of preaching, not the preaching of foolishness. But he's wrong. He's wrong, guys. You see, the word of the cross is. Did you guys see that? It is foolishness to those who are perishing. So it stands in contradiction to all philosophy, education, and knowledge of this world. For the preaching of the cross really puts a death sentence upon all. Christianity neither flatters human beings nor presents God as some easily, you know, palatable form um, (laughs) who would never, you know, think about the gospel message, the message of the cross. A crucified Messiah, a, a crucified self, you know, is a way to everlasting life. People just don't make that up. Do you guys get this? This is a message that the world cannot understand. They don't get it. 
the story does sound a little crazy and foolish. Would you guys agree with me? We consider the gospel message, the message of the cross. It does sound pretty foolish. To be honest, if you ever heard, you know, you're reading, you're hearing, and you think, man, this is just really weird. I, I do that sometimes. God, this is just weird, okay? I want you guys to imagine the story of Christianity if it was translated into modern day, into today. Follow me just for a second. Well, <clears throat> I want to share my faith. So say I'm at the gym, okay? And somebody I'm talking to says, hey, you're a Christian. Share with me about your, your God. And I'll say, hey, great. <laughs> well, uh, in, in modern terms, my God, he was, you know, born in Kukana. There was a sophomore at Kukana High School um, who had a, a, a son, you know, and she was a virgin, by the way. Um, and he was born, they were camping out at High Cliff in a tent, and that's where he was born. Her, her son never made it to college, never made it to a, a big city, you know, never wrote a book because he was too busy, you know, putting on tires from the age of 18 to 30 at Fleet Farm. There was one time that he stopped in at Kroll's. You guys know where Kroll's is across the street from Lambeau Field? right? Butter burgers, delish, right? He got some burgers and fries, and then he went across the street to the stadium, and he fed everybody in the stadium from his lunch. And there was a guy over in Little Shoot right here who he rose from the dead. And one day, they gave him a, a lethal injection. They didn't like the things he was doing, so they decided to kill him. But three days later, he was seen walking around downtown right here, and he was out at the mall one time after he was dead. And then I'm at the library, and there he was. And he's my God. You want to accept him? A little weird, huh? But that is the message that brings salvation to all those who will believe upon him. Because there was a Savior who was born, oh, not in Kukana. We know that he came into this world 2,000 years ago, into this little city of Bethlehem, born of a virgin, just like it was prophesied. And he did preach for only three years. He lived a perfect life without sin for 30 years, and he began his public ministry, preaching the reality of heaven and hell, of eternal life that the kingdom of God has come near, that he would die, be buried, and he would rise again, and that all who would count the cost to become his disciples would have eternal life. So, here, guys, but to those who are being saved, do you guys see that Christ's death is central to salvation? It is the process of justification. It advances by sanctification, and then it climaxes in our glorification. So here Paul speaks really to the second phase, this progressive sanctification, where we are delivered from sin's power through cross-bearing. Man, I struggle. I keep sinning. I keep doing the things I don't want to do. What's the answer? The answer is the cross. Because if we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross and we follow Jesus, are we going to have time to be sinning, guys? No. The cross is key to our sanctification. You see, guys, salvation, 
We're free from sin, right? Our sins have been forgiven, okay? We're washed clean, white. Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, okay? We know from that original sin, we're all born with sin nature. But Christ did something to take care of that. And then there's sanctification where we're free from sin's power. When we come to faith in Christ, we don't no longer have to sin. We're set free. I mean, think about how many people you know in testimonies. Man, this was the person I was. <laughs> but I put my faith in Christ and I'm a new creation. Those old things, they've passed away. My life is new. I am changed. I am transformed. That's the power of the gospel. That is what Jesus does. And then there's glorification, free from ever sinning again. That's what I'm looking forward to. I don't know about you guys, but I did pray this morning. <laughs> Be a great day for you to come take me home, Jesus. <laughs> I want to go home. I want to be glorified. I don't know about you guys. I'm sick of this life. I want to be with him. But we're here for a reason, guys. And the reason is to share this message of the cross, the hope of the gospel. So death to self does not mean some morbid, introspective, inferiority complex that leads to insecurity. It means being truly dead to self by fully depending upon God. That's how we can live a crucified life. They no longer have to rely on their own plans, intellect to see them through because when you come to Christ, when you put your faith in him, catch this brother and sister, when you are in him, you are the most secure people upon the planet. Most secure. We got nothing to fear. I mean, what can they do to us? Kill the body? Have you guys ever read that scripture? Great! Send me home! Glorified! You know? So, the practice here, guys, when we consider in Roman times, okay, the cross. Here it comes. The cross, okay? If somebody was sentenced to be crucified, they'd have to carry at least a part of the cross uh, through the city to the place of execution. And this practice really demonstrated uh, to all who observed that, hey, the condemned rebels, they had finally come in or, or they finally have come to a point of submitting to the state. So think about it, guys. In submission to the Father, Jesus carried the cross from Golgotha and he was crucified on our behalf. So following him requires a similar crucifixion. The death of our stubborn wills, our selfish desires. So, are you still shouldering your own personal cross? Are you nailing your selfish desires to the cross and letting them die? Or do you find yourself just doing whatever your selfish desires want. Luke 9.23. Jesus speaking, he said to them, all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Christian, if you're going to believe upon Jesus Christ, if you are going to be a follower of his what does he ask us to do? To die. Die to self. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. 
That is the life of the Christian. That is the message of the cross. And that's not what is being preached today (laughs) to God's people. One of my favorite scriptures, you can jot it down, is Galatians 2.20. It's where the Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me. Okay? So it's living that crucified life. So in verse 19 here, guys, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing understanding of the prudent. Who's he quoting? It's the prophet Isaiah, chapter 29, verse 14. Well, why this verse? Why would Apostle Paul bring this in to drive home this point? Well, the context, if you guys remember, you had those furious um, Assyrians. They had posed themselves on just the other side of Israel's border. So instead of running to God for protection, Israel followed human counsel. They formed an alliance with who? Egypt. And Egypt in the Bible, guys, is always a picture of the world. So God's people went to the world. We're going to be safe by aligning ourselves with the world. Does the Assyrians sit guys crouching at your doorstep? Doorstep of your life? Are you watching, waiting, wondering who you're going to call on for help? Who's going to do it for me? Who's going to see me through? Whether it's a threat, maybe to a rocky marriage, maybe your bank account is depleted, Maybe there's endless hospital bills or an immoral relationship. There is one whom we can turn to for help. You guys understand, as believers, he is our help. He is our all. He is the answer. So Paul here in verse 20 asks, well, who are the wise, right? Well, the unsaved Gentile intellect, that's the wisdom of this world. Who's the scribe, right? Well, that's Jewish intellect. Where's the disputer, the debater? That's Greek philosophy, philosophers. So the New Living Translation, some of you guys have it. It says, so where does this leave philosophers, the scholars, in the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world to look foolish. Isn't our God cool? And he has, guys. The longer I walk with him and I look at the smartest of the smart, the wisdom of this age, he's just like, seriously? (laughs) Really? Because when you know God, you know that he's much wiser than we are. When you read his word, you're just like, whoa, mind blown. You are so right. (laughs) Your ways are so way higher. And guys, this is really what our culture is done. We have, you know, who, 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 are, who are the ones that we look to? Well, it's, it's the celebrities of this life. In our American culture, it's actors and athletes, musicians, public speakers, and so on. This is where we're going to get our wisdom from. So the pseudo-intellectualism of Paul's day needed to be stopped and replaced with the wisdom of God. Would you guys say that's the same case here today? Are we looking to God for answers? Or are we looking to the world, 
looking to ourselves and our own intellect. You see, they needed to come face-to-face with the meaning of the cross. So don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of him. Okay? Don't be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So don't be ashamed of your Lord and your Savior, and don't be proud of yourself. That's the flip side of what Paul's talking about here. We are not opposed to scholarship, but scholarship should lead us to Jesus. Amen? So study and love Jesus. We're not opposed to truth, but truth should lead us to Jesus. We're not opposed to psychology, but psychology should lead us to Jesus. And we're not opposed to history because history points to Jesus. And any and every discipline should lead us to him. So we're not saying don't read. Read and love Jesus. We're not saying don't study. (laughs) Study to show yourselves approved to God, right? Study and love Jesus. And we're not saying don't be educated. Be educated and love Jesus. So Paul is not denigrating philosophers, scholars, and students, but he speaks against those who use the mind God gave them to argue against the God who created them. That's the foolishness of this world. We don't believe in you, God. There is no God. That's the wisdom of our world. That's what we're teaching our kids right across the street here, hundreds of students. They're all in science classes. Nothing blew up. Look at verse 21 here, guys. It's through, the the world through its wisdom did not know God. That's what Paul's declaring here. And that's where the wisdom of this world will always lead you. You see, we have brilliant astronomers who chart the orbits, okay, the shapes of the stars, how the planets look, but their telescopes never lead them to God. We have astronauts, some of the best of humans, you know, specimens that we have, right? They explore the universe, but they don't discover God. We have scientists. They peer through their microscopes, and they record the details of the world's, you know, invisible things to our human eyes, scrutinizing, they analyze, hypothesizing, theorizing, but their spiritual lenses are also microscopic, so they never see God. Intellectual educators read and study and probe the classics, but in all their humanistic research, they too never find God. So no, the world through its wisdom has not come to know God. So verse 21, and wow, so what does it take to find God is the big question, okay? Because if the smartest and the brightest of us, if the world's wisdom doesn't lead us to God, how are we going to find him? It's through the foolishness of this message, guys, the message of the cross. For without the cross, you cannot know God. So Jesus and him crucified, That's why we preach it. That's why we take the word of God seriously. 
That's why we're in 1 Corinthians here. You see, Jesus and him crucified. That is the message. That is the good news. And we're not ashamed of the gospel. Okay? Romans 1.16. Because that is the power of God on his salvation. And you guys know that the scriptures are able to make one wise for salvation. We know that faith, Romans 10, 17, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how are they going to hear unless there's a preacher? I'm not the only preacher in this room, guys. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are an ambassador for his kingdom. You have the message to share. So, look at verse 22. What are you looking for is the question. Now let's read verse 22 here. For the Jews, we're told, they request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. So the Jews, they request a sign for verification. Didn't Jesus say an evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign? How many people have you talked to? Man, if God would just give me a sign, then I would believe. Then I would believe. Do you know how many people people I've talked to have seen a sign? And they still don't believe. (laughs) Okay? Um, The Jews here, they demanded a sign because they demanded a victorious Messiah. If you are the Savior, we want to see a sign. Okay? They herald, you know, (laughs) Jesus did the miracles, right? Okay? Who will conquer their enemies? They wanted to see, you know, the glories of David's kingdom restored. So instead, the Jews are presented with a man who refused to give them a sign, okay, that they sought, and while claiming to be their king, who would, you know, um, end up naked upon a cross, dying and then buried in a borrowed tomb, you know, there's no white horse, there's no shining lance. So how could the Jews believe that Jesus was their long-awaited-for Messiah? They read their scriptures and understood them. They would see, whoa, there is the suffering Messiah. He will come, and he will die, and he will rise again. And then we have the Greeks, What do they seek after? Wisdom, right? They look for a proud philosopher king who will satisfy their intellectual curiosity. Instead, they're told about a divine ruler who humbles himself to be born a Jew, grows up into manhood virtually unrecognized. He spends three years speaking these mysterious parables, right? And then uh, he does these healing many of them, healings of all these different illnesses. And then he ends his brief ministry betrayed by his own people and then executed by crucifixion to, you know, really for the Greeks, the most despised form of death. 
So this scandalized the Greek mindset of the day. And that's why the cross really is so offensive to the Jew and to the Greek. And this is where Paul brings everything around. It all comes back to the glory of God, glory in the Lord. Look at verse 26 with me. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So let's look at verse 26 again. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. Who were the Corinthians in the church there? Who who were they? Who are these brethren that he speak? Who what made them up? Well, check out chapter six, verse nine, ten, and eleven tells us. Do you not know <laughs> that the unrighteousness or unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, so those having sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And check out verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We've all seen, guys, art made from discard, from junk, right? Okay, it could be old thimbles, piano strings, a rusted clock and the gears, bent paper clips, scratched door hinges, cabinet knobs, each part virtually worthless, But the hands of the craftsmen have turned this useless junk, odds and ends, into extraordinary pieces of art. So God is such an artist that he can take and mold worthless lives and turn them into priceless works of art. That is our God. You can jot down Ephesians 2.10. Do you not know that you are the workmanship of God? You are his poema. Okay? He is making you into something beautiful. That is what our God does. But Paul says something we forget, (laughs) you know, is our junkyard beginning. Such were some of you, okay? That's your old life. That's who you were before Jesus. But he has forgiven you. He has cleansed you. He has made you a new creation. So Paul says, sometimes we forget our junkyard beginning. So we think God performed a great work on us because we have, you know, some high-quality material that he can use. That's wrong thinking, guys. You didn't get saved because you were great. 
the smartest, the brightest. Look at me, God. Use me. Don't we have that mentality? Okay. As a part of a youth group, very secret sensitive back in the day. And as one of the youth leaders, we were taught what we needed to do. We had to go recruit the smartest and the brightest. Go after the quarterbacks, the head cheerleaders, the popular kids in the youth group. If we bring them in, if they get saved, then watch out. Okay? Well, the problem is most of them want nothing to do with Jesus. Okay? Um, God doesn't work that way. So, <clears throat> if we believe the scriptures, if we believe the message of the cross, we're going to know that it's out of his grace. That is it. It has nothing to do with you or me. Okay, we are saved by grace. And God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. Loved who? He didn't say just a, a few or a, a couple elected upon the planet. I mean, he loved the whole world, guys. Every man, woman, and child that has ever lived, he loves. So it's out of his grace God stoops and he saves the nobodies, the nothing, the junk. That's our God. Thus, the artist, not the art, should be the honor and the glory, right? Wow, look what my God has done. Look what he is able to do. Look what he can make out of nothing. Thus, who gets all the honor and the glory? It's the artist. You guys see why this is so right? Why the message of the cross makes so much sense even though the world looks at it and hears it and says it's foolish. Because the world and the world's problem, a foremost problem, is it is all about itself. Look at me. You see, getting saved is very strange. Just all of a sudden, you get it. I know people who grew up in the church. Some of them even went to the private schools where they got, you know, Christian education, where they had to memorize and learn scripture. And it's so cool when they come to know Jesus. Wow, I'm born again. <laughs> I thought it was this. <laughs> I thought God was this. I thought faith was this. And they were so blind and so deceived. I thought I was in because of me and what I did. And we come to Christ, man, it is all him. He's done it all. He's done the saving. What a savior. This is glorious. This is beautiful. So when someone doesn't get it, it's not because they're stupid, but it's because, you know, they're blind. It's not because we couldn't explain it well enough for them to get it, okay? They're not stupid. They're blind. Jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with me real quick. I want to read a passage of scripture here. In chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it talks about those who are blind to the message of the cross, to the gospel. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, so if somebody can't see the truth of who Jesus is and their need of him as Savior, okay, they're veiled, 
they're veiled to those who are perishing. And so it's those who don't believe, okay? Whose minds, okay, so the how they think, okay, their minds, the God of this age, and if we study the scripture, we know that the God of this age is who? Satan, okay? So Satan has blinded them who do not believe. Least the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So do you guys understand? Has nothing to do with being stupid. Has everything to do with Satan blinding them. And that's why we pray. Do you guys pray for those that you're going to share the gospel with? Oh, looking forward, I'm going to meet with so-and-so. And I'm going to tell them about Jesus today. Are you on your knees in prayer for them before you ever speak to them? I sure hope so. Because there's spiritual things going on. There's a war going on for their souls. Satan is blinding them. My simple prayer is often, Lord, just open their eyes. Let them see. Holy Spirit, soften their hearts. Remove those scales. Let them see their need of you. And there's power in the gospel, guys. So, going back to verse 27 in 1 Corinthians 1. God has chosen the foolish things of this world. Guys, this is a passage that I have gone to I don't know how many times over the years. It's a scripture I cling to. Do you guys believe that God has chosen the foolish things of the world? I do because it's in his word. I do because I can testify to it. A lot of you guys don't know, but I flunked kindergarten. I would qualify as the foolish of the world. I remember in first grade, I couldn't speak rightly. So let's put Landon into a speech impediment class so he can learn to speak correctly third grade I get labeled as having a learning disability because my teachers were finally catching on he can't read this phonics thing he's not catching let's get him extra help let's put him in special classes and I had the privilege of special classes all the way through high school until I graduated and I barely graduated I was one of the few kids that they didn't even give out the gown to because they weren't (laughs) they didn't know if I was really going to pass all my classes needed to actually graduate from high school but a couple months before I graduated I gave up all I was a believer in Jesus but there was finally a surrender before my God because when you're in high school and you're about to graduate futures before you what are you going to do what career are you going to have what are you going to make of your life and Christ crashed in such a way that he confronted me, son, you going to live for you or are you going to live for me? And I surrendered. I'm in, God. Whatever you want. And in that, guys, Jesus did something in my heart. He stirred up my heart in ways I'd never been stirred before. I graduated from high school without ever reading a book. I graduated with what a probably a third grade reading level would be. You guys may not know this, I still can't read. 
But God's given me a lot of grace. And he gave me such a hunger and a desire to be about his business. As I'm about to graduate and all these other things I should be doing, classes to finish up, I couldn't put down his book. And there'd be times I'd read, I'm like, I don't get this. And I'd read it again. This isn't making sense. When you have a hard time reading, it's hard to comprehend what you're reading. (laughs) You're just trying to figure out how to pronounce that word. And I'd have to read something over a dozen times. And I fell in love with the word of my God. And something happens when you live and you choose a surrendered life to God. You're going to be about his mission, the Great Commission. And you're going to be beginning to share. Oh, I up to that time shared with friends. I thought that was, hey, come to church. We have a special musician coming in and you can hear some Christian songs. He's pretty good. He'll rock ya. Shared with my best friend. Shared with my good friends. Didn't see anybody come to Jesus. But something began to happen as I was surrendered. And I began to read and get that this is about Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what I began to share. And I began to pray. I began to see a lot of my friends come to know Jesus. I began to get plugged in at my church and serve younger brothers and sisters. Many didn't know Jesus yet. And though I couldn't read, I knew the Bible was important. We opened up our home. I was living with three other bachelors. We had a bachelor pad. (laughs) And all of them were in college. All of them were very educated, knew their stuff. Landon, you're the one that's going to lead the studies. But I can't even read the Bible to these junior high kids. And I would read. We just went, we were going through Proverbs that summer. We had about 70 junior hires showing up at our bachelor pad on Monday nights. And we were seeing kids getting saved like crazy. And all we were doing was reading through the book of Proverbs and so many of those words I couldn't pronounce. But the message is Jesus and him crucified and sharing that good news. You see, God asked me to go to college. (laughs) How do I go to college when I can't even read? (laughs) How does this work? But when you have a surrendered life, guess what happens? God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. All right, I'm going to (laughs) go. And even though this is a struggle, even though it's hard to write an essay because I can't read, definitely can't spell, (laughs) I'm going to go. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. You know who gets the glory in that stuff? It's the Lord. A few years later after college, hey, why don't you come and teach others? We will hire you as a youth pastor. Your job is going to be to teach others when me and myself have a hard time learning. Okay. <laughs> and take someone with a learning disability to teach others. All right, God, this is your thing. Try to put yourselves in my shoes just for a moment, okay? Is there pride to be found? No. I believe God chooses the weak things of the world, guys. Not despite our weaknesses, but because of our weaknesses. I may have a learning disability, but I think all of us 
can look at our lives and say, hey, <laughs> I'm weak in this area. I don't have it together here. I can't do that. That's cool because that's when God comes in and with his help and by his strength and by the, his power, he calls us to do those things that the world's going to look in and say, what? What? Remember, we used to be on television. I was doing youth ministry, preaching the word of God, and we were actually on television here in the valley. And we had people tuning in. And I had all these friends. This is when Facebook first started, okay? I had friends hitting me up on Facebook. What happened to you? They're the friends I went to high school with. You can't read in your teaching? What happened? Let me tell you what happened. Jesus happened. This is what my God is doing. He's saving people. It's not me. It is him. Do you guys understand? He gets the glory. He gets the glory. And all we need to do, guys, is surrender and say, hey, I know I'm not the smartest, the brightest. I don't have it all together. But here I am. Use me, Lord. Use me. Another quick story. I don't want to make this about me, but there's power in testimony. Okay? And a lot of you guys have shared mighty acts of God just because you were willing. That's what God's looking for. Are you willing? Are you willing? Remember, I was up in the chaplaincy. I did our, our county <clears throat> chaplaincy uh, for five years. We're in about a year and a half, and I got a call from another jail ministry down in Alabama. All the way down in Alabama, they heard what God was doing in Outagamie County Jail. Because within a year's time, we had a few little Bible studies, maybe three or four people coming out for each one of those Bible studies, had blown up to 16 studies in every, or actually 21, in every single class was full. What was God doing in the jail? It wasn't me being the chaplain in the jail that did it. God wanted to do something, and he just wanted to use somebody. The only thing I did when I went in and took over the chaplaincy, they had a lot of programs. We stripped all the programs. We're done with all this we're going to start to teach the inmates the word of God. About 40, 50 volunteers for the Fox Valley Jail Ministry. And I asked them, you guys, I'm asking you, we're done with the programs. We're going to teach the inmates the word of God. You know what we saw God do? Take a lot of these foolish people of the world. Those, the only difference between someone who's incarcerated <clears throat> is they didn't get caught. I mean, they got caught and we didn't. I mean, that's the difference, right? <laughs> We've all blown it. So God took these people, come into Bible study. You know what they would do? They would go back to their blocks and then they would share with all the other inmates in their block what they were learning in class. And it got to a point, we had waiting lists bigger than all of our classes. People just had a hunger for the word of God. Do you guys see... God chooses to use the foolish things of the world. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, how old you are. God wants to use you. 
And I want to encourage you guys, that takes humility. That's all it does. And stay in that place of being broken and open. I can tell you guys the truth. I'm always overwhelmed still to this day. I still get those butterflies in my stomach when I have to get up and speak in front of people. Okay? But I know God is good. I know his word is powerful. It's not intellect. It's his word that effectively works in those who believe. It's his word that's going to set people free. And all we get to do, guys, is surrender ourselves and say, God, use me. Cool. Go speak the message of the cross. Well, that might offend people. That's okay. Because if you really are able to save, which I know you are because you saved me, (laughs) I know you can do that for other people. So we share. So the cool part is, who gets the glory then, guys? It's God. So I want you guys to look around for a minute. Would you guys say that we would qualify as the foolish things of the world? Not many wise, many smart, right? We're regular people. And we need to recognize if there is anything good, it's because of him, okay? It is him. Um, It's only by him and his grace, his strength, and his help, okay? I get overwhelmed by things. This next week, we got Jada and Kevin getting married. I'm really excited. I know, right? Really excited. I get to preach and preach the gospel. There's going to be a lot of people, as you guys know, at a wedding that don't know the Lord. But I can tell you guys, I've done dozens of weddings. I still get overwhelmed about doing weddings. But one thing I do know, God's always faithful. Do you guys know that? He always sees us through. And all we can do is to be a vessel for him to work through. And for each one of us, guys, that looks different because God has called us all and has gifted us all differently. The one thing we have in common is are we willing? That's the one thing, brothers and sisters, that we all have in common. Lord, use me. It's all we have. And if you're willing, watch out. And I encourage you guys, if it's overwhelming, if it's too big, if it doesn't make sense, Take a step of faith. (laughs) Step into it. See what God's going to do. It might be beyond maybe what you're thinking God would be able to do. Because it's all him. Um, I'm going to skip that. Look at verse 29. Do you guys know that pride is self-defecation? For God so loved you. Do you guys know that? God loves you. just as you are. But it's not because there's something intrinsically lovable in and of ourselves. He just loves you. And that's all glory to God. And that's the message of the cross, guys. It's because of his love. So as the Lord told Jeremiah, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For these I delight. So what does God delight in, guys? It's doing what he's asked us to do. Living according to his ways. And it really comes down to, do you understand him? 
because his ways are not our ways. Do you guys understand that God, Jesus, is so holy other? He is so different. We need to get to know him. Okay? That's all that matters. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you know God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know him? It's all that matters in this life. That's why we're on a mission, the Great Commission, going into the world and teaching. We need to share this message of the cross because it is the hope of the world. It's what God has called us to. I know about you guys, but Jeremiah had a rough time as a prophet. But he received from the Lord. (laughs) And it's very straightforward. You know, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, nor the mighty man glory in his might, nor the rich man in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising love and kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight. This is our God. This is what he is about. And I want to encourage you guys, keep trusting. Keep obeying. This life is going quick. It's but a vapor. We have a call on our lives. Okay? The call is not dependent upon you. (laughs) It's upon him and what he has done who he has made you and what he wants to do through you. So I want to conclude our time this morning by partaking in the Lord's Supper together. I think it's a great time to do that in light of wrapping up 1 Corinthians 1 here because what do we do when we come to the Lord's table, guys? We remember his life and his death, the cross. It's the message of the cross and that he rose again (laughs) and that he's coming back again. Which I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty excited about that. So I'm going to pray. If I could have a few guys come up and pass these out for us, that would be great. Father, we are grateful and thankful for your word this morning. Uh, let us not take lightly um, just the truth that we need to hear. We know that your word is truth. We know that it is a truth that will set us free. And I pray uh, for all of us, myself included, that we would be all that you want us to be, that we'd be yielded, surrendered, and open, Lord, to all the things you're wanting to do. It's in your name we pray.